Well, today we have before us a rich passage where Jesus has a prolonged discussion with an unnamed person. The church has either called her the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman. And today I'm going to read the very long narrative and then give a few thoughts on it. As we begin, I want to pray asking Jesus would meet us in this incredible story he orchestrated. Let us pray. Lord, you meet all of us in surprising and unexpected ways, inviting us to know you in a manner we hadn't considered before. And after we meet you, you still invite us to talk about all the important aspects of life. Thank you for this story before us. Help us, Jesus, to hear your voice speaking. Give us ears to listen and eyes to be open to your truth. And may that truth be something we put into practice for your glory. Amen. John 1, John 4, 4, 1 through 42. Strap in, people. Here we go. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samarian city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well with his sons and his flocks to drink from it? And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spirit, a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. 
Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking to a woman, but no one said, uh, what do you want? Or why are you speaking to her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back into the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, surely no one brought him something to eat. And then Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more and then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know this is truly the savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Last month, Dr. Karen Reeder came to senior lunch to talk about this story. She's a professor at... Uh, New Testament at Westmont College, and she has just written a book called The Samaritan Woman's Story. I encourage you to pick it up as it is excellent reading and important scholarship on the background of this time, as well as various ways that this story has been interpreted by the church, which is actually not always positive. Because with nothing in scripture to indicate anything of the sort, this woman has been branded a sinner a prostitute, and one who needs Jesus to save her from those sexual sins. Now, we don't have time to go into all the ways that this story has been characterized by mostly male interpreters, but let me just say a few things before I encourage you to read her book. One is, we need to be careful not to put our modern understanding of marriage or women on this passage People in the ancient world largely married for the families of the husband and wife to benefit financially and for the procreation and raising of children. Love and affection were not a prerequisite, nor were they the purpose of marriage. And women were mostly given in marriage very young by their families between the ages of 13 and 15. And there was usually a large difference between husband and wife in terms of age which gave the older male the opportunity to mold her into what he wanted since he was the authority. The story has often been read as the Samaritan woman and her five marriages and current cohabitation as being all of her own doing, that that is who she is. Now, while women did have legal rights in the first century, they were given consent in whether or not they wanted to marry. They could divorce their husbands, but that was very rare, and for a woman to divorce meant that she actually ended up with a lot of constraints by her father and her husband, as well as social and cultural expectations and finances and children and what in the world would happen to her afterwards. 
So there are many reasons why this woman may have had multiple husbands, which may have everything or nothing to do with her own sin. Her husband could have died or moved themselves on. If she is the one who committed adultery or she is a prostitute, Dr. Reeder cogently asks, why would Mormon marry her? Lastly, nowhere in this scripture does Jesus say, repent. Nowhere does he call her a sinner or give any indication that she has, that she's anything less than what she appears to be, which is a woman going to the well for water. But years of interpretation have made this woman out to be a harlot, and we have the opportunity this morning to cast her in a different light, which I invite you to do. Because without proof, we're judging her, making her less than her husbands who don't have any culpability in this story whatsoever. We're making her less than her neighbors, and we are making up her life. And none of us want that from anybody at all. Jesus didn't hesitate to call out sin in people's lives. He's going to do it in the next chapter. Was she a sinner in need of a savior? Absolutely. Are we all? Absolutely. So what I want us to focus in on is how Jesus understands everything about her. And this is the most miraculous thing to her. He blows past cultural expectations of not talking to a woman publicly because he already knows her. Because he created her. He's seen everything every day of her life. His love for her is so powerful that he wanted to come so that she could meet him. Because he knows she has questions. He knows that she's analytical and strong and smart and brave. Not only does Jesus want this woman to know him, the time is now for her to make him known to others. There's so many things that we could talk about in this story. We could actually be here all week. We could talk about the Samaritan Jewish dynamic. We could talk about the symbols that John uses of light and water and worshiping on the mountain. Here a woman comes seeking water and Jesus comes to seek her out so that he could give her living water so that she can truly live. But today, because we're talking about women in the Bible, I want to talk about this woman and have her be our focus. So I want to briefly talk about four character traits that we do see in this scripture from her. First, we notice the Samaritan woman is an inquisitive person. She asks questions, good questions. She wants conversation, not just to do what this random stranger asks her to do. She wonders about things in life. She's intelligent. Her quickness is something that we see right away. This is the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has in the Gospels. What an honor that this woman has, and we can see why. She sounds educated. Maybe she is from a wealthy family. But it's her curiosity that shines through, showing how engaged she is about life. She says, how is it that you ask me for a drink? Where would you get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob? 
this week at our Wednesday morning prayer time, Pastor Nikki brought a talk that Pope Francis gave just last week to some young people in Rome who traveled from a youth camp to see him. I want to read to you part of his address because his words are powerful and God used them in my life in a meaningful week, a meaningful time this week in prayer when Nikki read them. It's a little long, but that seems to be what we're doing today. So here we go. This is Pope Francis. You are young people who come from Italy and other countries of Europe. You were born into a world that we speak of as secularized, meaning that our culture is more influenced by the realities of this world than by the dimension of the sacred. Oh, we could talk all day about that too. Nonetheless, deep within the human heart, there is always a thirst for something greater, for the infinite. You, too, who have grown up with instant information are asking the great questions that arise in every age. Where do we come from? What is at the origin of all that exists? What is the meaning of my life? But also, why is there so much suffering in the world? Why do little children and innocent people suffer as they do? You should know that God loves questions. In a way, he loves questions more than answers. Why? Obviously, because the answers are closed while the questions are open. A person who only lives on answers is a person used to being closed, closed, closed. And a person who lives on questions is a person who is used to being open, open, open. And God loves questions. Jesus asked the first two young people who followed him one day on the banks of the Jordan, what are you looking for? A question. Everybody should ask that question. What am I looking for? If you ask that question, it means that you are young, even if you are 80 years old. If you don't ask it, you are old, even if you are 20. Am I right? What are you looking for? One application from this passage is how we should keep asking questions, especially of the Lord. What questions do you have for God today? What do you do with your questions? Do you take time to write them down? Do you bring them to God in prayer? Do you talk to someone about them or do you just like put them away on a shelf? Like Pope Francis says, we should keep asking questions. We should keep dialogue open about all kinds of things. From this woman, we see that it's good to ask questions. Somebody put Kleenex up here for me. Isn't that nice? The crying pastor. Somebody write a book about the crying pastor. Okay. I know. It's also good to make fun of yourself. All right, second. The Samaritan woman was bold. Not only does she ask questions, she tells Jesus what she thinks. She challenges him in a few places, taking him on about whether he should ask her for a drink because of the racial and gender divide that they have. She asks him if he thinks he's better than Jacob. She's honest about her life when Jesus asks, that's a bold thing. She challenges him about the correct place of worship. Wherever she's been, she shows up for me like a survivor. She presents as someone who doesn't have anything to lose. She's not worried about hurting Jesus' feelings or any ramifications that might come from expressing her opinions. We should not be afraid to say what we think. But often, women are. 
This year in the Harvard Business Review, they published an interesting research project which talked about gender bias at work. Now there's nothing new about that, but this research looked at four industries where there are more female workers than male workers. They should have come here. <laughs> Just speak the obvious. Okay, so they looked at four areas, law, higher education, faith-based nonprofits, because one of the researcher was from Biola, and healthcare. And they found that even though women are in the majority of these industries, they still experience a multitude of biases. In other words, just having more women represented in a work environment doesn't mean that they are equally treated. One main example is called constrained communication, where women have to be mindful when expressing authority and need to downplay their accomplishments. There's a lack of an acknowledgement for women and their contributions sometimes, and they're consistently interrupted and talked over by their male colleagues. Now, strong women are often shut down or talked about behind their back because people are turned off by them. Why is this? When I was younger, I was told to be more gentle. Imagine. To be <laughs> more quiet, to act like a lady which I think was code for, it's not attractive to be assertive, Colleen. Although those telling me that, usually men, had no problem being strong even when it wasn't attractive. But it was shaming to me. And it was a message that I internalized and still have to think through. How is it when I am in public that I am not too much? See, often women are judged for being strong, and maybe it's time for those of us who have a hard time with that to examine why we're not comfortable with strong women instead of just making strong women wrong. Because it's not hurtful or sinful to be strong. Jesus doesn't correct that at all. He doesn't tell her, hey, 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 tone it down. <laughs> he encourages her. He encourages her strength by connecting in meaningful ways with her. Strong women have often been put down in subtle and not so subtle ways by those who are threatened by them or put off by them. But maybe the problem is more with those people and not with the women. How do you respond to strong women in your life? Does it bother you? If so, you might want to think about why that is and think about how the Lord welcomes and nurtures this woman to live into the full potential of who he has made her to be. Three, the Samaritan woman wanted fulfillment. She wanted meaning. Once you remove the shame from her and see her as equal to all of the rest of us, we can hear her heart a little bit. She boldly says, I want some of that living water. Another thing women don't do usually is say what they want. She wanted to stop going to the same places day after day to get the same thing. Jesus knew she was longing for God because her conversation shows that she is thirsty. But she not only knows about faith, she is thoughtfully engaged with faith. Do you see that? Do you see the different things she could have said to Jesus? Like, oh yeah, here's a drink, I'll see you later, nice knowing ya. 
She could have said, oh, I don't talk about religion or politics at the well. <laughs> she could have said, man, those are nice sandals. Did you get those on sale at Bergdorf's? You see, this woman is not about surface conversation or evading hard issues. She's a deeply spiritual person who has taken time to think about things. She talked about the Messiah before Jesus even brings it up. When we think about the lack of understanding in the New Testament that the disciples showed and how so many people were afraid to say the M word and how people kept saying, are you the Messiah, even John the Baptist? Now, many people displayed a spiritual understanding like this woman does. So let's think about how we can apply that to our lives. Where is it that you need fulfillment in your life? Where can you meet with Jesus who is always actively seeking you out so he can talk to you? Jesus met this woman on purpose so that they could have this conversation. He knew her heart because nothing was hidden. The older I get, the more a few truths become apparent. All of us are looking to be loved and to belong and to know grace and to have a meaningful connection with the Lord. I'm going to do a brief interlude here before I go into my last point about the disciples and Jesus talking about the harvest. There's something ironic and almost tragic here about how the Lord is going to be reaping a harvest of souls. And the disciples are astonished that he's talking to a woman. There's word that he's not eating. And they're not really tuned in to what Jesus is saying to them, what he's trying to tell them. When I think about Jesus telling them over and over and telling us over and over, pay attention, listen, pay attention to what I'm saying to you, pay attention to what happens in your life and the signs of the time and what's happening. Let's not miss what God is doing around us. Last point. The Samaritan woman was a giver. She's the first evangelist in the New Testament. The first thing she did was go and proclaim that Jesus, the Messiah, had come, leaving her water bucket. This also goes against the idea that women can't preach. Notice that Jesus doesn't stop her. He doesn't say to her, no, 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 no. Let me go. I'm, I'll go. I'll do it. I should be the one to do it. He is God after all. Nope, he doesn't do this. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, quick sticking point. It's not okay for you to go because of your gender. <laughs> you see, there's probably plenty of men around, but Jesus does not specifically go to them like he goes to this woman. And Dr. Reeder made another point about how Nicodemus in the, the chapter 3 of John just before how he goes and talks at night to Jesus and he doesn't understand. He's one of Israel's teachers and he doesn't understand what the Lord is saying. And the woman goes and talks to him in the middle of the day and immediately gets it. She immediately understands what's happening. And then she immediately goes and tells others so they can come. She doesn't want to keep this to herself. This is life-giving and she knows that other people need this also. When I think about this woman, I think about the verse that says, freely that you have received. Freely give. This woman doesn't need a nudge to go tell other people. 
She tells them, I think I've met the Messiah. Because Jesus tells her everything that she's ever done. This is how she knows that God is real. When Jesus met you, how did you know? What was it? Do you tell that to other people? This is how I know God is real. Let me introduce you to the one who has living water. Curious, open, bold, longing for meaning, going and bravely telling others about the Messiah. This is how we should see this woman. We aren't defined by our sin or by our past. Praise be to God, but rather by how the Lord sees us. And how we are precious and worthy of his time. We show who we are by how we live our lives in light of meeting the Savior. And how we engage with others who need to know him too. So spend time now in silence with your Savior and see what he says to you. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.